You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In-depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan could want. This is Fourth Down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. Welcome in to another edition of Fourth Down in the Steel City. Hey, how are you? I'm Chris Mack. He's Josh Taylor. We're going to talk a lot about the Steelers because that's what we do here on Fourth Down in the Steel City. And before we tell you exactly what we got planned... Although it's kind of sticking to our usual weekly schedule of what we've been doing here on 4th Down in the Steel City. Have to remind you of how you can get the podcast, and there are a lot of different ways. Obviously, you can watch it on YouTube, which you may be doing right now. And we send a special hello to you right now. For those of you only listening, you can't see it. Sorry, got to go to YouTube and check it out for yourself on the 93.7 The Fan Channel. And tap that little bell down there to get notifications as soon as new videos are available. We also, of course, do it the standard way. You want the audio? You go to wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, of course, iTunes, and our favorite way, your free Odyssey app, which you can download today if you haven't yet in the iTunes store, A-U-D-A-C-Y, and take us with you wherever you are going. With all of that said, Mr. Taylor... We are going to build the game plan today. Brought to you by your sponsorship here. Building, contractor, home improvement, whatever company. Building the game plan with you. It's it's just right here. Look, we've got all this space above our heads on the YouTube page. We could put a big banner even if you wanted to. Um, Josh, <laughs> let's let's start with... Um, it, it's, it's the YouTube hard. folks are loving this right now. Uh, right now, yeah. we're It's all about them right now. Let's start with something that I kind of want to put a bow on before we dive headlong into Steelers, Texans, and strategy and things of that nature because it feeds into what they should be doing. And it it loops back on Mike Tomlin's press conference on Tuesday and what Kenny Pickett had to say on Wednesday. And when you tie the two together, it's fairly obvious now that there are only certain instances 
where Kenny Pickett is allowed to check out of a play at the line of scrimmage and check in to something else. Not every play does that seem to be a possibility. Um, I expressed my frustration yes in yesterday's audio-only episode at this idea because, well, I, I think a quarterback should be able to count humans, which I think is the basic level of proficiency here for Kenny Pickett. If he counts a certain number of humans in the immediate area in front of him, he should be allowed to check out of a certain play and check into a different one. But it seems that they're still not yet trusting him to do that, Josh, which brings me to the second part of this. Why don't they trust him? Is it because Kenny isn't ready for it? Or is it because, as I've had some people say to me on social media, Mike Tomlin and more so Matt Canada are just control freaks about their offense? And how do we get to a point, final part of this, how do we get to a point where he can be trusted to make the more of those adjustments? Because I think that could be one thing that's going to hold this offense back as we progress through the season. Can I address the second part first? Yeah, yeah. Matt Canada, the control freaks about their offense. First of all, folks, find me a football coach who Who isn't isn't a control freak. freak. (laughs) Find me one. And if you find me one, I'll find you a coach who hasn't been coaching that long. Okay? (laughs) Stop with that. Like, just stop. Okay, let's start at the very beginning. I don't think this is a Kenny Pickett issue. Okay. Let me start there. I don't think it's a lack of trust in Kenny Pickett. I think it's a lack of trust in the guys around Kenny Pickett. Hmm. And and let let me break down why, because let's think back here. There are some things that this offense in the first two weeks of the season just could not fundamentally do when the play calls were coming down, just in the more traditional sense, when they were being given to them in the huddle and they go out to the line of scrimmage and they line up and run them. And some of those things haven't been working. So now we're just going to assume this offense that can't do the basic things is going to now be expected on the fly yeah, to, adjust. to do it differently now and expect better results. Folks, do we Fair need point. to go over the definition of insanity? Do we need to rehash that? Or do we all know it by now? I, it's just, I, I don't expect this offense to sprint when it's still having the, the crawl to walk transition to go through over and over again. It's just, I don't think they're there yet. Just like I didn't think they were there last year. There were some things last season before the bye week this offense just could not do. And everybody's like, well, they need to do this. Folks, they're not doing the basic stuff right. And I, I mean, pick a thing. I think it's an offense in general thing that they're trying to get everybody comfortable and on the same page. And Kenny Pickett talked about this. He said, look, if one of the 11 guys messes up the assignment, everything else falls apart. I think they need to trust all 11 guys not just the one guy calling the actual line at the, the place of line of scrimmage to make it all work. That's, that's how I feel about it. That, that's a good call. And I mean, as the father of two young children, they're not even at the crawling to walking phase yet. They're still at the don't put that in your mouth phase. It feels right. Like. Put the, the put that down and stop <laughs> putting your st- stop trying to grab the dog's tail phase. Right. Like, that's your foot. Right that's your foot. Your your own foot you're chewing on right now. Stop right. that. Yeah. That, no, I, I literally I had you. that conversation with my daughter like two nights ago. <laughs> It's really bad particular situation. But no, it, it speaks to a larger point because there's all these people that have to put everything on the quarterback. And it's not about everything being on the quarterback. There are 10 other guys on the field, folks, and they all have jobs to do. Like we, when, when things go right, oh, the quarterback's great. When things go wrong, oh, the quarterback's terrible. Folks, mm-hmm. 
you got at least five guys who have to block for him. And sometimes all five guys are not doing that. Actually, more often than not, that's the case. So you, you have to be more realistic about what we're looking at with this offense here. We know there's still issues in the run game. We still we know there's still issues in pass protection. And we also know there's still issues with some of the skill position guys and what they're able to do. One of your tight ends might not be that great at blocking. One of your running backs may not be that great as far as your blocking scheme is concerned with your offensive linemen. They got other kinks they got to work out first before we can start figuring out what they can do on the fly. That's all I'm saying. So do you feel good then about their ability? Because I I do worry, and and look, it's just shifting the blame, I guess, to a different spot then in in my perspective. Uh, I I don't feel good about their ability to walk to the line of scrimmage, see the defense telegraphing exactly what they're doing, and getting out of that play that they're in that they know is going to get bottled up. To your point, it may be the offensive line, right? It may be a back picking up a blitzer. Um, to, to some people's point, it might be the quarterback to other people's point. It may be the OC, whatever it is. It could be all of the above, honestly, that's kind of where I am. So, so I, I just, I do, I question if they're, if the offense as a whole is ready to, you know, when you walk to the line and see something presented to you, make the change that needs to be, that needs to happen. And if they're not, and that seems to be the case that Mike Tomlin said on Tuesday, you know, sometimes they he even said, sometimes we we just run the play that we're going to run, um, to paraphrase what he said, then they're going to continue to face issues in adjusting to what defenses are presenting, which brings us to this week and what the Houston Texans may present to the Steelers offense. Um, we talked the other day about Mike Tomlin fairly gushing over Will Anderson. Will Anderson could have a huge impact in this game. Um, The rest of their defense, you look up and down the names, there's not a lot that necessarily scares you. I know Steven Nelson tweeted uh, a week ago that he was fired up for this one to try and show Mike T or try and prove Mike T wrong or ask him Mm. what he was thinking. Yeah, uh, that's that's exactly my reaction as well. Mm, mm, mm. But Steven, when I, we remember your time as a Steeler. How fired up can you really be? You know what, though? Outside of, say, Will Anderson Jr. and um, Blake Cashman, I mean, Steven Nelson's probably the best thing they got going on that side of the ball. Um, their defense is, is not great shakes. So if the Steelers' offense is ever going to get untracked here, Josh, this may be a good week to make it happen. Because there's an opportunity to run against this interior defensive line, I believe. Uh, there's an opportunity to maybe get out on the edge, I think, with some of those zone blocking schemes that haven't worked so well. Although Mike Tomlin kind of indicated that quality edge rushers can keep them from being effective in that regard. Um, and, and I also think there's a question about whether their corners can hang with Steeler receivers. In particular, I'm going to look to get George Pickens with Steven Nelson on him every single time. And if somebody, and if that's the best option, imagine what we can do when it's somebody else, when it's, you know, Shaq Griffin, or I, I think there's going to be a ton of opportunities in the air in this game. I, I wouldn't mind having opportunities to try to get a guy like Calvin Austin matchup against one of these corners. I mm-hmm. think that's an opportunity for that. Now I thought Doran Dickerson pointed this out really well. It might've been yesterday on the fan morning show. He mentioned it. He said, look, if I'm a defensive coordinator facing the Steelers in that right now, I'm more worried about 19 than I am about 14. Because you know that 14 can beat you by Mm. taking the top off, but 14 can also beat you short. 19 can also take the top off the defense. And now you got to deal with 19 taking the top off and 14 beating you short. And, oh, yeah, 
88 can beat you in the middle of the field too. But right. Calvin Austin doing what he's done now, but what he did both, I'll, I'll go back and say it. He did it in the preseason against Tampa, but then he also went and did it last week against Vegas. So now it, it's out there. We know what Calvin Austin could do because it's on tape. So you have to deal with that and having that opportunity to match him up against one of these corners. I think it's important, but cycling back around to the, the run game, as we're talking about, there's two guys in particular, maybe three that I'm worried about. One is Shelton Rankins in the middle, the defensive tackle, not necessarily an easy guy to move. And you, you still have to keep an eye on where he is. Number two is Denzel Perryman, the inside linebacker, assuming yep. that he plays. I know he was on the injury report, but I'm expecting him to play. Same thing with Jimmy Ward, another guy who I believe was on the injury report. He was limited this week, but I think I, he's expecting to play as well. So I expect these three guys to be the focal point of what they do in the run game. Rakins because he works in the middle. Perriman because he can move around and make plays and try to clog up a hole here and there. And Jimmy Ward because I'm going to remind you of two things. One, a lot of defenses like to do the same thing with the Steelers and put that strong safety down in the box. Yep. Two, Jimmy Ward came from the same place that Houston's new head coach came from. Both he and D'Amico Ryans came from San Francisco. Yeah. If you don't think D'Amico Ryans brought some of that San Francisco ethos and, and, and defensive scheme with him, then you're not paying attention. And I expect that to be a factor too. So those are the three guys I'm looking at. So, and those are all important names. Here's something to think about that loops back on the conversation we started today's episode with that factors in exactly what you're talking about here with D'Amico Ryans is I have a feeling, look, everybody on the South side is preparing for some 49ers type looks, right? It, yeah. Preparing for the Texans to maybe build off of the tape from week one because of D'Amico Ryans because of Bobby Slowick, because of the similarities in systems. Now, there's obviously a personnel difference, a big yes. personnel disparity, in fact. We could call it, I think, on both sides of the ball, from the Niners to the Texans. But that aside, I think it's almost like it's an, it, I don't want to call it a do-over opportunity, but imagine if the Texans got a chance to watch their own game film from a Steelers game and then build off of it. So I guess the point I'm trying to get to here is if D'Amico Ryans knows exactly how to show one thing that he probably has a pretty good idea the Steelers have been planning for all week because it comes from his past in San Francisco and some things that worked in week one, but perhaps bring a completely different thing post-snap. I This is the other thing I'm worried about here and why I worry about Pickett and how much he can adjust and forget just adjusting pre-snap, but his processing post-snap has left a lot to be desired as well, bailing on pockets, uh, high throws, inaccurate throws. I have a feeling that D'Amico Ryan's going to do everything he can to disguise things at the line, and then regardless of whether the Steelers decide to change up or not, check out at the line, he's going to give them something completely different once the ball snaps. But that's what you anticipate. And we talked about this before the season starts. I've been saying this for a while now. If you're going to be a good defense in the modern game of football, you better be able to do three things, particularly. And Houston really needs to do two of them. Granted, the one obvious thing is be able to get to the quarterback. And we know the Steelers defense can do that. The other two things, win one-on-one -on -one matchups, which I don't think they can do up and down the depth chart like San Francisco could. And the other right. thing is, you just mentioned it, be good pre-snap and be able to confuse quarterbacks or get them to think that something else is coming. And that might be the way you beat the Steelers. But here's the thing, and, and this is where pre-snap pre -snap on defense even helps. Even if a quarterback makes a check at the line, 
you still might show them a look quarterback makes a check and then it ends up being something else altogether. Right. So it, it, it still may be the chess match in and of itself. Here's where Matt Canada's game plan last week comes into play. Remember what the criticism was going into the game against Vegas. They looked too predictable in some of the sets they were in. If right. they were in shotgun, they were probably going to pass. If they were under center, they were probably going to run. So what did they do? They mixed that up. When they were under center, they ran a little bit more play action. They ran out of the shotgun. They weren't as predictable as far as what they lined up and did. This is the week where you continue to expand on that. I don't mind the thought of trying to add more to the offense where you're talking about checks at the line, but I think you got to get from one place to the next. I think they got to get from being a little bit more, or I should say a little bit more, you know, diversified in what they do out of certain right. set to where they're getting comfortable with that. And then they can say, okay, let's go from this to this because it fits everything we have. I don't know if they have all the ingredients in the, in the, in the cabinet, so to speak, to right. do that. But it is important to where if you're able to do what you did last week, where just not look as bland and not look as predictable and not look as easy to expect different things like you were against Vegas, Mm -hmm. that helps you out because now it renders that film you're talking about, it renders it moot because you're getting different looks at things you may not have seen before. You know, it's almost as if we've talked about the structure of their schedule this year and how it looks. Um, It's almost as if, if they can just get through, and I, I know last week we talked about just getting to the bye week on a positive note, a positive record. But if they can, j- when you look at your schedule and the opponents are the Niners, um, two divisional opponents, um, and D'Amico Ryans, <laughs> even if it's Josh McDaniels thrown into the mix somewhere there <laughs> as well, um, it's it's a lot to have to coach against when you're also mm-hmm. trying to get your own guys up to speed. So this is, in my opinion, as I look at it now, probably one of the worst mixes of of teams they're facing the first few weeks for a team that's trying to establish things, right? We talk about Canada wanting to establish things early in games so he can build off of it later. They're Mm -hmm. trying to establish some things early in this season so they can build off of it later. Uh, If if they could have had, it would have been nice if they could have had like the Cardinals, the Colts, you know, the Packers, the Titans in the mix the first few weeks, the Jaguars, rather than what they've had these first few weeks, which has been, no, we're going to we're going to try and confuse you as much as possible while you're still trying to get your sea legs under you. This is why I was nervous about a couple particular games on the schedule. When the, it's, when the day the schedule came out, I hosted that night for Paul Zeiss on 93.7 The Fan. And I said, one of the games that worried me was against Houston because of who their coach was because mm-hmm. they, what they, because of what they were doing in free agency and because of how they were reshaping that identity of that roster and what they were potentially doing. This is why this bothered me. Plus they're on the road. It's a game. They're probably expected to win. People like to call that. Oh, that's the Mike Tomlin special loses a game where he's a favorite on the road. We love to do that against an opponent that has a, a record of such and such. We love to bring that stuff up, but that's why this bothered me. Not necessarily because of all those elements, but because of what you just mentioned. You got a coach that really, really wants to reshape how this defense is played. And what better way to do that is take what he just brought from the best defense in the land that he was a coordinator for last year and bring it here and try to reshape it. And, oh, yeah, let's also draft the best uh, edge rusher in the draft while we're at it with the top five pick while drafting arguably one of the best quarterbacks that was around with the first five with the top five picks. So let's do that and shape that all together too. So it does create 
that conundrum you're talking about of, man, you, you kind of wish you had a little bit of an ease there with coaching, but this is a game where you hope the players on the field because your roster, if you're the Steelers, your roster is still better one the 53. Yeah. So you got to lean on it a little bit more. Yeah. And this is when we look at the offensive side of the game plan, this is one of those games where I'm okay. It's almost the, the classic example of it. I think is, I don't know if you remember the Titans game from 2020 that the Steelers won where Roethlisberger came out and just dinked and dunked his way down the field, like five times. In the first I literally watched drives. that game, the condensed game like two weeks ago. Okay, I literally so just watch that game through. That smells like the kind of game plan they need to start here down in Houston. Like, let Kenny get in the rhythm, hit Pickens, hit Austin, hit Fryermuth. Darnell Washington is a human who has hands and can catch footballs, maybe try it, and hit Jalen Warren out of the backfield. All this kind of stuff, Najee out of the backfield. A, a quick passing game to open up, give your, your offense room to breathe, and then introduce the run. And again, like we've talked about all week, you don't need to establish the run first in order to run play action. So maybe an early play action boot, especially on an early down. That kind of stuff, I think, is the way to attack it early, to, to loosen up this Texans defense. Keep D'Amico Ryans maybe on, on his toes a little bit here, and don't let him dictate terms to you as opposed to having terms dictated to your offense, as I think we still have continued to see even into that Raiders game, especially late in the Raiders game, Josh. This comes back to that conversation we had previously about how some coaches treat the first quarter and the first quarter, the fourth quarter, the same. Mm -hmm. They say, hey, we have our script for things that we do here. We have our script for things that, that we do here because specifically we're trying to figure out what we might be able to do that the defense may not see or try to put some things together that they may not be ready for in that particular moment. So it does kind of circle back to that. Because one of the plays that I thought was one of the best call plays of the game against Vegas was that third down conversion to Allen Robinson in the fourth yes. quarter. I thought that was one of the better decisions that Matt Canada made. You start looking at opportunities like that in maybe the first quarter, or you look at something similar to that in the first quarter, you get a coverage that you like and you say, okay, this is where we want to do this here because you know you might see this or they might expect you to do this. And right. you come with something completely different out of that same formation. That's one of those opportunities to use that there. I, I completely agree with this. If you're going to start trying to get a little bit more, not even exotic, just saying, hey, look this way, but show you something completely over here. Mm -hmm. Now's the time to try it. Yeah. Get yourself going early because, again, Mike Tomlin talked about it on Tuesday, how important it is to have a lead for this team because yes. they're not going to open things up. And based on what he said Tuesday, they won't be expected to open things up and start trying different things until they've got a lead. Hopefully, that's a little bit of foreshadowing by him, a little bit of cat and mouse that, no, we, in fact, will show you some different things in the first 10 to 15 plays in order to keep the Texans on their toes. That's one side of the ball. How about the other side of the ball? What do we expect from C.J. Stroud? AFC, or was it NFL, uh, Offensive Rookie of the Month in the month of September going up against the NFL's Defensive Player of the Month in T.J. Watt. This could be something to watch and why T.J. Watt may be licking his chops for this opportunity. We break it down from the other side of the ball as we continue building the game plan right here on 4th Down in the Steel City next. In-depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan could want. This is 4th Down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. 
And welcome back into fourth down in the Steel City alongside Josh Taylor. I'm Chris Mack. We've got you covered. We looked at one side of the ball. In particular, what happens when the Steelers are on offense and how they can and should, in our opinions, attack the Texans' defense. Where are the soft spots? And just rhythmically, how do they go about it, especially early in the game on Sunday afternoon? What about the other side of the ball? We've got a rookie who, at least numbers-wise, looks like he knows what he's doing and had a really nice game against Jacksonville last week. C.J. Stroud, second overall pick in the draft. He's got a decent fleet of receivers. He's got Nico Collins. He's got Tank Dell, who has really impressed as a young guy in the first couple of weeks of the season. And then the crafty vet running from the slot in Robert Woods. They've got sort of a running back by committee sort of thing going between... Uh, Devin Singletary and Damian Pierce. Damian Pierce has about 45 to 55% of the snaps so far. Singletary somewhere in the 30% range. All of that is to say these aren't elite weapons. Collins and Dell, I think, have the opportunity to grow and become a whole lot better as their careers continue to progress. But these aren't elite weapons, but it's a quarterback who I think has has shown he can help take them from one level to the next, Josh. And it's just a question now of what happens when he faces a defense, who I hope is hell-bent all out on making his weekend a nightmare. Because if they take down C.J. Stroud, it's like taking out the body, the head will fall. Um, if they take out Stroud, I think this offense is going to have a really difficult time gaining any kind of ground against the Steelers' defense that after last week, it's it's hard to see any real soft spots. You know what the interesting part about C.J. Stroud is and why I think he's been so successful these first few weeks of his career and the numbers he's put up and the success he's had? He hasn't made a lot of mistakes throwing the football. Yeah, 900-some-odd yards in three games, that's good. Four touchdowns in three games, I mean, you know, for a rookie quarterback, you kind of temper your expectations. Sure. Not a single interception. That's... Mm-hmm. What sticks out to me, not a single interception in your first three games in, in as a rookie. And I got to look this up. 121 pass attempts and you haven't thrown in a single interception yet. That might be the reason why things are going so well. He's completed what? 64% of his passes, handful of touchdowns, but no picks, no big major things that shoot himself in the foot, at least when he throws the football. However, the big thing, the big weakness is before he throws the football. He's been sacked 11 times. Now this is where it comes into the Steelers wheelhouse. Cause you say, Hey, if we could get to him, he can't kill us, but you got to get to him first. Yeah. And what's interesting is to your point about the zero interceptions, he's done it without the offense looking like it's trying to baby him. Right. right. This isn't, this isn't like the jets trying to baby Zach Wilson and ask him not to screw up. This isn't the Steelers who at times have looked like they've asked Kenny Pickett to, they've tried to baby him and ask him not to screw up. They are simply saying, no, 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 you're going to play quarterback. Just don't turn it over. And he's not turning it over. That's, that's, it's hard to get a rookie quarterback Mm -hmm. who doesn't get kid glove treatment and still avoids turning the football over because all too often, especially when there's pressure on them, the way there's been pressure on Stroud from the pass rush, they simply, they just naturally and instinctively want to try and do something. They try to do too much, and the ball turns over. I think it also speaks to C.J. Stroud and the offense he played in in Ohio State. Remember, that's an Ohio State offense that's very quarterback friendly. They're going to mm-hmm. give you weapons. They're going to make sure you have a line in front of you. And this is from 
you know, from Urban Meyer down to Ryan Day. And I think Ryan Day is one of those guys who probably doesn't get enough credit for what he's done at Ohio State. But this offense that he's in now, it's very reminiscent of what we saw when he played in an Ohio State last year. Because, yeah, Ohio State, he had a handful of receivers he can throw the ball to. One of them is a Heisman candidate right now in Marvin Harrison Jr. He's got a couple more that are holdovers from last year. Emeka Abuke is pretty good, too. So he's got some solid guys mm-hmm. to trust. He had good linemen in front of him, and one of them, is a starter already in the league, and we saw him against Cleveland and Dewan Jones. So we knew the talent that they had around them, but the offensive system that they had was also very, very quarterback friendly. It allowed you to have those opportunities to trust your receivers, to trust your linemen, and put you in situations to succeed. I wouldn't be surprised if some of that is carried over. I wouldn't be surprised if some of what was happening, we'll bring it up again, some of what's been happening in San Francisco is carried over again. Because remember, D'Amico Ryans brought his offensive coordinator with him from San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And people around football will tell you the 49ers offense is very paint by numbers. It's very if A, then B, if B, then C. So that's something else that helps him a lot too. So when you have the familiarity of having a background in the system that's very complimentary, and then you're working in a system in the program now that's complimentary, it makes it a lot easier for quarterback to get comfortable and easier to trust those receivers and easier to say, okay, I know what I see, so let me do this quickly and right. make the right pre-snap read. I mean, he they turned Brock Purdy into a star in about six weeks last year, Mr. Irrelevant. So there's no reason Bobby Sloak, who's the quarterback's coach there, in San Francisco is now the OC for CJ Stroud in Houston. Can't do the same thing. Help a young quarterback exactly. grow in a safe way, for lack of a better way to put it. What'll be interesting to me too is where do they look for a soft spot? Is Levi Wallace still the perceived soft spot on this defense after the way he can't look? He we we crushed him the first three weeks, and we rightfully did. so, because we he wasn't playing well, but he comes up with two or three of the biggest plays of the week Sunday night on defense against the Raiders. So do they, do they try to get Nico Collins in one-on-one situations with Levi Wallace? Do the Steelers continue to answer in nickel and dime situations by moving Adrian Peterson inside when I think Levi Wallace may be the better choice to move inside. Do we see another increase in snaps for Joey Porter Jr.? And how does he handle Tank Dell? I think that would be a fascinating watch up, uh, matchup to watch if we get it more than a few times. Um, And then again, the crafty veteran. If I were the Steelers, I would not hesitate to put Peterson on Robert Woods, crafty vet against crafty vet. But I I think Levi Wallace, given the way he played last week, I don't want to get too out over my skis and expect too much of them. So I, I think they have to start considering how they're handling slot receivers. And again, this is a team that has a tight end they brought in in the offseason and Dalton Schultz, who can still mm-hmm. burn you as well. Although, I don't know about you, Josh. I feel much better about the interior coverage, especially with Cole Holcomb, Quan Alexander, and even the way Keanu Neal has played in the last week or two. A whole lot better about interior coverage against tight ends and backs out of the backfield. There are two things that caught my attention of everything you laid out. One of them was maybe moving Patrick Peterson around. And the other one is more Jerry, uh, more Joey Porter Jr. I almost called him Jerry Porter. Like, 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 Pac-Man. like Pac-Man. <laughs> um, but yeah, more, more Joey Porter Jr. Too. I, I think it's, I think this is one of those cases where we talked about the Steelers offense being brought along slowly. I think the defense is the exact same thing. I think they've done a pretty good job of bringing Joey Porter Jr. Along slowly. And the good thing about that is every challenge they've given him, he's done pretty well with it. Okay, he gave up one pass against Devonta Adams. 
folks, everybody does that. That's nothing new. He's been doing that to the league for almost a decade now. Yeah. But he every every test for the most part that he's been given, he's passed it. And I think he's been able to say, okay, I can do this. What else you got for me? So if they can do take that opportunity now and against this receiving core, I think this is a really good next progression for him. Get him, you know, 30 plus snaps in with this group to see how well he does and just match him up with the guy and say, okay, don't let this guy beat you. I don't care yeah. who it is. It could be any of the above. Don't let this guy beat you and see what he does because he's done a pretty good job of that already. I think it's really important. The safety play becomes a big part of it. I thought what we saw with Nick Fitzpatrick against the Raiders is a lot more of what you want to see with him. Yes. He's in the back. He's directing traffic. He's taking, you know, whether it's your, the, your opponent's best receiver or at least the best deep threat out of at least the ability to take the top off your defense. He's at least helping prevent that, but he's mm-hmm. also cleaning up some stuff. If he's, if he's the robber on a certain play, he's helping clean up the middle of the field. He's helping taking that away. And it gives your corners a little bit more confidence. Through. They say, you know what? You might beat me short, but you're not going to beat me deep because I got these guys behind me. I think a lot of that is going to mix in. I think they're going to have to be really, really strategic in how they give C.J. Stroud certain looks. And this is where Terrell Austin comes in. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of this also is, hey, let's give him this look and shift this and rotate this guy. And Patrick Peterson talked about it after the game against Vegas. He said, look, I was supposed to be back here. I got sucked in with this and wasn't back there quick enough when he got beat on that fourth and one for a touchdown. So all of this has to come into play. People have to be disciplined. They have to make their reads and everybody has to do their job. Well, if you don't have to necessarily shut this passing game down, but if you can limit it enough or make CJ Strout think just enough for Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because if they don't get any pressure and the reason TJ Watt, I mentioned this before the break, um, the reason TJ Watt is probably licking his chops is because they may be down to their third string left tackle. There you go. And if that's the case, then I do, I, I do not envy Austin Deculus, who would be making his first NFL appearance, let alone first NFL start against TJ Watt and or Alex Highsmith, depending on yep. how they move pieces around. That could be a nightmare. But let's let's assume Laramie Tunsil gets good enough to play. Okay. Let's assume at the very least they've got their tackles. Um, it's still it still is going to be difficult, I think, for Stroud to because to your point, if Fitzpatrick's sitting over the top, hmm. I, I, which is how I prefer, it's it becomes just a matter of okay, who's the guy on this play? I there is no Devonte Adams for the Texans, right? And exactly. Not just, not just in skill level, but also in that there's no one prevailing target. Like if you look at the numbers, Collins, Dell, and Woods are all sitting somewhere between 21 and 25 targets through three games. And they have the same number of receptions. Exactly. They're all sitting at 15 catches. Um, When you look at it, Woods has not been the deep threat. He's been running from the slot more often, but Tank Dell has their longest reception of the year at 68 yards, but Nico Collins has more big plays, seven to Dell's three. So obviously – it can be any one of those three guys on any given play. You're right. I want Minka sitting back, playing a high center field. And if that means I got to play three corners all day, then so be it. It's time for Joey Porter Jr. to take the training wheels off anyway. It becomes for me then, Josh, just more about alignment, like I talked about. And who do I want on the inside? Again, the way I saw Levi Wallace handle tight ends last week and slot receivers – I'm okay letting him play mm-hmm. on the inside. I'll, I'll, I'll live with it. 
um, especially with help from backers and strong safeties. Give me Pat Pete and, and hopefully he warms to the task faster than he has in a couple other games this year. Give me Pat Pete and PZ Jr. on the outside, and I feel a little bit better, even if the tackles are healthy for Houston in how they handle those outside receivers. It, this is a situation where I feel like for the Steelers, it, it kind of plays into their hands because you mentioned it. There's there's no Devontae Adams that you know can pretty much torch any defense he plays against mm-hmm. because he's just that good of a route runner and he's just that reliable of a target where he can take a high volume and just convert it into ridiculous numbers. They don't have that guy. But they do have that equal distribution of targets and catches to where you figure out, okay, it, you don't have to worry about the one guy beating you, but you do have to worry about which guy might exploit you if you make a mistake. So to your point, yeah, it becomes important as to who who lines up where and who's matched up where. And I would also say this, this is a prime opportunity for this defense to really take advantage of the fact that you have a Alex Highsmith, that you have a TJ Watt, because Mm -hmm. what happens when you have those two guys on the edges that most offensive linemen can't deal with, you can really leave it up to your front to just say, okay, you guys go get the quarterback, everybody else, you clean up what's left. That's what it might become to where they can just send that four up front. If they're in that even front, they can just send those four and drop those other seven guys back yeah. and make CJ Stroud make CJ Stroud pick his poison. And God forbid he's under duress. You're going, okay, so where's the mistake going to come to? And that becomes a much bigger opportunity for them to be able to capitalize on it and maybe force CJ Stroud to make that first big mistake because it hasn't happened yet. So yeah. If you have the right alignment of guys both in between the hash marks and outside, I think that helps as far as making it a lot more difficult to make that decision right away and make it a lot easier for those four guys, whether it's Highsmith or Watt or even Keanu Benton, to get to the quarterback and either make a play to get him on the ground or force him to make that mistake that brings it the other way. You mentioned exactly who I was going to bring up next. I will save save some what's cooler than being cool, Ice Cole Holcomb for a couple minutes from now (laughs) and instead pivot to Keanu Benton. Love this. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Um. Keanu Benton needs to play more. Uh, in my opinion, he's been up and down in snap count, uh, or actually been going down in snap count if you look mm. at it, which is strange. Um, but, you know, by percentage, it, it's interesting. He's still been in there 30 to 40% of the snaps every week. This guy just, he I get the feeling he can do both. And mm. I don't know many interior D linemen who you can trust in this day and age to do both. You're lucky enough that when he's healthy, you can trust Cam Hayward to both get after the quarterback and help stuff the run. You are lucky enough that with Cam out, Larry Ogunjobi has looked like he can handle both to an extent. Montrevious Adams, okay, flashes here and there. I know they like him. They've liked him for a while since they pulled him off the, the waiver pile from New Orleans a couple years ago. I just would like to see more Benton in there. And let him because he looks like to me, he can be one of those guys who just absolutely blows up a block and ends up laying on top of a quarterback three seconds later, as much as he is that guy who can eat up a couple of gaps in the run game. I thought the best description came after our our talk after the Vegas game. Um, Hargrave-esque. Yeah, I thought was a great description for him. And, And I think we talked about this before the season. If he can be anything like that guy, that's something you're really going to feel good about. Anytime he's on the field and the second half he had against Vegas, I think told us a lot about what he can do. And I think 
you know, the thing that was the knock against him coming out of Wisconsin was, well, he hasn't done a lot in, in, in the passing game and, in, mm-hmm. in, you know, against pass rush. Well, he really wasn't required to in yeah. Wisconsin because he had his job and the job he had as far as helping stuff to run, he was really good at. But now you're seeing his ability to beat guys one-on-one in the pass rush, and it ain't much it ain't much worse than what he's doing in the run game. Because we can talk about what this what a certain player does against this or against that. His job's pretty simple. Beat the man in front of you. Yep. And he's doing a pretty good job of it in both instances. And if that's the case, I think Mike Tomlin talked about it too. He's making the most of the opportunity because of an injury to Cam Hayward. He wasn't really expected to be put in this position this soon. But if I'll say the same thing with him, like I said, with Joey Porter Jr. You keep giving him chances and you keep giving him tests and he passes them, give him more. What's the worst that could happen at this point? Exactly. Uh, so we, I, I, th- I think we feel good about the run game. Texans are only only running for less than three yards a carry, 2.8 uh. yards per carry. Um, nobody worse than them in the league at average yards per carry. They are tied at the Bucks for 31st in the league in yards per carry. I think we feel good as long as the corners play solidly on the outside and Levi Wallace is protected in some way, whether it be by his fellow corners or by the safeties in them being able to limit big plays. The the one thing that I come back to in this final analysis of the Steelers defense against the Texans offense is where is a young quarterback going to look when there is pressure in his face? He's going to look for a safety valve in the middle of the field right in front of him. And they did, like I said, go out and get Dalton Schultz this mm. offseason as a tight end. The the immediate counterpunch to that is that every week I grow about 10 leaps and bounds in my confidence in Cole Holcomb in pass coverage, not just in coming up and stuffing in the run. He's shown an effectiveness there, and they seem to know when to pick and choose to have a Landon Roberts on the field with him in those instances. But I already felt good about Quan Alexander and Cole Holcomb. Like I said, what's cooler than being cool? Ice Cole, he seems to be handling the middle of the field. Aside from even that big hit he put on Adams last week in Vegas, Josh, this guy seems to have a handle. I don't see – I mean, we didn't see George Kittle really eat him up too much in the middle of the field. We didn't see Njoku do it. We didn't see the Raiders really utilize the middle of the field all that much. It feels like a new day in the middle of the Steelers' defense and that they're handling that pretty well because of – Holcomb and Alexander, more so Holcomb. It all honestly, the Vegas result from what not only what Cole Holcomb was doing as far as coverage, uh, you know, covering specific receivers, mm-hmm. but what he did in the middle of the field, that hit that he laid on Devontae yeah. Adams that they picked up the flag on, it 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 took my mind back to better times. Yep. When this is what this defense was expected to do. This is what they were counted upon to do. And it was pretty much it it was like, okay, how many how many times is it going to happen as opposed to are we going to see it? That really changed my opinion on him. Now granted, I got some really good insight from Ryan Shazier. Um we worked the Let's say once it was post game of the Buffalo game together and Cole Holcomb, he didn't have an interception, but he tipped a pass that led to an interception mm-hmm. against Buffalo. Now, granted, I know we're preseason results. You can't get too crazy about them, but it was the process for me. And, and Ryan Shazier really broke down the process as to what he did and how he thought Cole Holcomb saw that play develop. And he talked about how defensive coaches pretty much coach linebackers a couple of different ways as to how you're going to sit back in zone and defend the pass. 
You're either going to look, you're going to go sit back and look at what the quarterback's doing and try to read and react, or you might look at where the receivers are aligned on your side of the field or from the middle of the field, and you might try to defend certain concepts and know where to be based on what the concept is evolving into. I thought that was a really good piece of information because I think we're finding out Cole Holcomb might be able to not only defend well in zone, but also match up well, just well enough in man coverage to yeah. make it a little bit harder. And you talked about Dalton Schultz, but let's not forget Brevin Jordan. Brevin Jordan has four catches. Three of them are first downs and one of them is a touchdown. Yeah. He's actually been pretty good on third down too. And he's been pretty good in the red zone. So he becomes a matchup issue. So now I look at what Cole Holcomb or Quan Alexander, or this is where the safeties come in too. This is mm -hmm. where DeMonte KZ and Keanu Neal come in. They're going to have to try to deal with what these tight ends can do in short yardage and red zone, not just as far as what, uh, with third downs are considering, but yeah, Schultz and Jordan do present an interesting matchup and they're going to give us a really good look at, you know, just how good these linebackers are continuing to grow with what they can do in this pass defense. Steelers, Texans, one o'clock Sunday. No live uh, edition of Fourth Down in the Steel City for post game, but we will have a post game wrap up for you up late Sunday night, early Monday morning for your ride into work on Monday. So you can look back on it with us as far as what goes down on Sunday in Houston between the Steelers and the Texans. As you know, you got to make sure you're subscribed, though, to get notified as soon as that episode is available inside your Odyssey app on YouTube, click the notification bell, or however you get your podcasts. Be sure to keep it right here because we will be back Sunday night, Monday morning, to break down everything that happened. Thanks to Greg Finley for producing, my friend Josh Taylor for helping keep me in line and not letting me quote Outcast too much. As we I like the Outcast drops. You can all never right, have enough right, in my all book. Right, all right, all right. We will be never back post-game for another edition of Fourth Down in Steel City.